Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. It is good for us to be together. And here we are in 2024. Uh, first day, the first Lord's Day uh, of this year. And this is the where we need to be with each other in the Lord. And I am grateful to be here with you. And let's spend a little time studying God's Word. If you will open your Bibles back to John chapter 16, Gospel of John chapter 16. We're looking at a couple verses in there in just a moment. But as we get into the lesson, let's begin by this. You know, the Holy Spirit, who is described to us here in this passage, as well as others, as the comforter or the helper, was sent to the apostles by the Father and the Son to fulfill a very vital, very important role, particularly in assuring the revelation of redemption, the revelation of salvation through Christ. And we, for example, see that in a couple passages in the New Testament that emphasizes this role of the Holy Spirit. For example, here, in the 16th chapter, verse 13, where it talks about the spirit of truth is going to guide the apostles into all truth. And he would speak, you know, what the Father and the Son would have him speak. Or over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul is making defense about the revelation of the gospel and how they receive that. And he said, it is not a spirit of the world. It is from God, the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. The work of the Holy Spirit centers mostly, not entirely, but mostly around the revelation of God's word of truth. And so we see the scriptures teaching that and explaining that to us. Chosen men taught and wrote down the gospel, and this gospel is God's power. It's not the power of men. It's God's power to salvation. So therefore, when you and I are moved by the revealed words of Jesus Christ, that is the Spirit. That is the sword of the Spirit still, even today, impacting and changing our hearts and our lives. The spirit sword is designed to convict. The sword of the spirit is designed to convict or to reprove. Some versions may even use that word. What do you mean by that? Well, very simply, you're talking about the idea that the spirit sword, this message from God, demonstrates and persuades a person to respond by providing reasons to respond. God's truth is to be applied so that it convicts, so that it convinces us through his arguments and causes us and others as well to act properly. And one objective of the Word of God in convicting, or the sword of the Spirit convicting, as we're told here in John 16, 
is convicting the world of sin. Convicting the world of sin. The world of men is God's concern. God is concerned about the world of men. How do we know that? Well, throughout the scriptures, that clearly impresses us, or at least it ought to impress us. That God, our creator, created man in his own image, and then in turn, what did he do? Man who became a sinner. God in turn then provided a way that man can be redeemed from his sins. He provided a way that man can be reconciled even though he is a sinner. So passages like John 3, 16, God loves the world. How do I know that? I know that because of Jesus. That's the epitome, the ultimate example, culminating point of God's love is Jesus Christ. God also is calling the world to repentance. And you see that, for example, in Acts 17, Paul is preaching. He says, God commands men everywhere to repent. That's what God wants. God wants the world to repent because God is concerned about the world. Over in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it talks about the character of God who wants the world to, uh, to repent, who wants men to repent, and that's why he is so long-suffering with all of us. So God's word or the spirit's sword of grace and truth is for the world's ears. It is for the world's hearts. So you have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke what we have come to identify, describe as the great commission of Jesus Christ that is given first to the apostles and then is to be passed on from generation to generation where he, where he tells his apostles and disciples I want you to go out throughout the world and I want you to share the gospel. I want you to tell people about the gospel of Jesus. And that's exactly what happened in the first century. That in the first century, Christians, even under persecution, even though at times when they're gravely and severely being persecuted, facing all kind of opposition, very powerful opposition, they still, as we're told in Acts 8 verse 4, when everywhere preaching. Preaching what? Preaching the gospel. Wielding that sword of the Spirit. And if God so deeply cares about the world, so that he sent his son, and then he sent the Spirit to reveal truth, his truth, therefore as redeemed and as adopted children of God ourselves, should we not also be concerned? Concerned about the world like God is concerned. Through the word, the Holy Spirit seeks to convict men of sin. In John 16, here in verse 8 and verse 9, it reads again, if he, speaking of the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, if he, you know, when he comes, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And that's our focus on this morning there in verse 9. 
The idea that the world needs convicting of sin or concerning sin. Now, as promised, you know, Jesus is making a promise here in the upper room before he dies to the apostles. And as he promised, and God always is faithful to his promises, the Spirit did come upon the apostles. They were empowered with, you know, with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, what they did is they began testifying of the gospel of Christ and that testimony of the gospel, as you read in Acts 2, the very beginning of that, we see it convicted hearts. They gave reasons that persuaded hearts to turn to Jesus Christ because they were telling them about God's amazing work that he has accomplished, that he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit's work through the apostles centered on defending Jesus Christ and defending his cause and defending his calling and that same living word that was effective then continues to convict hearts today. Those who are hearers of the word, the point that they're able and willing to receive the word into their life. And so the promise is kept. The spirit has revealed all truth. And that truth has the power to save souls. And so Jesus says here, he says, okay, I'm going to send him so that he can convict the world of sin or concerning sin. Sin is transgression. We know that. Sin is a violation of God's laws and commandments. As expressed in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Pretty direct there. To the point. Sin is a violation of law. And the spirit sword, what does it do? Well, it reveals compelling proof to prick the conscience. It, conveal, it reveals compelling proof to convict the hearts of men. And as Hebrews 4 verse 12 describes, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, 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 it can even reach the recesses of a person's thoughts. It can even reach the recesses, those deep hidden things of a person's intentions. What we cannot do, the Spirit can. And the Spirit does so through his sword. It is designed to convict, and it is designed to convict of sin. So each soul, each soul, God's concerned about the world. God's concerned about you. God's concerned about me. God's concerned about everybody in this room, but not just in this room. God's concerned about everybody outside of this room as well. And each person needs to be pierced with the living word of God about sin. We need to be convicted of sin by the Spirit's sword, by that word of truth, because each person at some point in his life has or will choose for himself how to sin and when to sin. That does happen 
and it will continue to be repeatedly occurring in this world. And so the world needs convicting of sin. But what's interesting in this particular context is this, and that is sin ultimately grows out of unbelief. Unbelief in Jesus Christ. Reading, again, reading in verse 8 and 9 of the 16th chapter, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's Jesus speaking. That is, the sin that the world commits ultimately grows out of unbelief. Unbelief in Jesus Christ. Unbelief regarding perhaps who he is. Or maybe unbelief regarding what he teaches. Or even maybe an unbelief regarding his sovereign right to govern and to judge our lives. There's a number of angles you could look at that, of how sin grows out of an unbelief in Christ Jesus, the Son of God. So here's a specific sin to be referred to here in this particular context, which he said they need to be convicted about not believing in Jesus. That's what the world needs to be convicted of. They need to be convicted of their sin of not believing in Jesus. Think about that. To choose to refuse the one whom God Almighty sent to take away sin and grant forgiveness is definitely a violation of divine sovereignty. When a person chooses to not believe, the one that can take away their sin, that itself is a transgression. That's a sin. To reject God's provision of mercy and grace, to refuse to submit to God's anointed king is sin. It is transgression. It is disobedience. And each person, because God created us and made us as free moral beings, each one of us is to decide what we want to do with that. Each person decides for himself if he will reject Jesus or receive Jesus. And if he will keep on rejecting Jesus or keep on receiving Jesus. Each one of us make that decision. But Jesus said, I am sending the Spirit to the apostles and that message is going to be revealed and preserved by God's power because the world needs convicting because they do not believe in Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit, his testimony as preserved in divine scriptures persuades people. It doesn't persuade everybody. But it does persuade or influence or change those honest hearers that Jesus is God's remedy for sin. The word of God, it's what pierces hearts. It's what you know, pierces the minds and the wills of men. It is not 
men's words. It is God's word that does that. The gospel of Christ is God's power, and that power is what saves the believer, not the words of men. It's the words of God. And the scriptures, the God-inspired scriptures, they are the work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is inspired. It is the God-breathed message given to mankind. And those holy scriptures, the living word of God, the sword of the spirit convicts because it reveals to us the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It it convicts because it reveals the lamb of God who atones for sinners. How do I know that? Jesus is the remedy. Well, very briefly, just kind of make these points very quickly. In John chapter 12, John 12, we see the emphasis that Jesus makes, that he says, my teaching is not my own. The teaching that I am presenting to you today, he says, it is from God. It is from my Father. In the 12th chapter, verse 49, he says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. The Holy Spirit is trying to persuade us to hear Jesus. Why? Because what Jesus has to say is what God has said. That's why Peter could say in John 6, where can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. There is no one else who has the words of eternal life but you. If I want life, who can I turn to but you? But also, the testimony of the Spirit tells us that uh, the very works that Jesus did confirmed his word, confirmed that he was of God, confirmed that he was doing God's will. For example, over in Mark, Mark chapter 2, you know, where it talks about you know, a miracle of Jesus. It's the miracle of him healing the paralytic, you know, and who, you know, who's let down through the roof. His friends want to make sure they get this man in the presence of Jesus and they make it happen. But notice what Jesus says. What was the emphasis of him performing this miracle? Well, verse 10 and verse 11 of this story, this account of what Jesus did, it says, I say, excuse me, so in verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What was the reason Jesus healed the paralytic? Just to be nice? Well, no, not just to be nice, even though Jesus was always nice. He was a man of compassion. He cared about people who were in all kinds of predicaments. But on this particular occasion, he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home, and he did. The works of Jesus, the miracle of Jesus confirmed that he did his father's will. Confirm that he had authority on earth. Confirm that his word was not just his own, 
but it was God's word. Over in John 14, John 14, there in verse 10 and 11, in the same upper room, he also said this about the work he had done throughout his ministry. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The word that I, that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. If you don't believe me because of, because of what I said it, what I said, how I said he said, if you don't believe me because of that, he says, believe me because of the works I did. The very works that I have done proved to you and confirmed that I am who I claim to be. But the Spirit also gives us the resurrection of Jesus as a declaration that he is the Son of God. Early on in the ministry of Jesus, over in John chapter 2, John 2, it's the occasion when he cleanses the temple, one of the occasions he cleanses the temple. And there are some people kind of questioning, you know, what he did and who, you know, if he had the right to do this, he had the authority to do this. And note, note what he says there in the second chapter of the Gospel of John down in verse 18 and 19. Then the Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What is he talking about? Well, you continue reading here. Continue reading the Spirit's telling of the story through John, the apostle. He's talking about his resurrection. I'm going to show you how much authority I have. He says, you destroyed this temple of mine. Speaking of his own body, he says, I will raise it up. That's how much authority I have. And so, therefore, when Paul writes the amazing discourse, an account uh, to the Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, in the very introduction of this amazing uh, account and, and revelation, he says, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus promised the apostles back there in, in, in John 16 that I'm, I'm leaving and I'm going to send the Spirit the spirit of truth, the comforter, and he's going to guide you to all truth, and I need to do that. I need to go, and he needs to come so he can convict the world of sin. Because they don't believe me. The world needs convicting because they don't believe in me. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, it is in the authority of Jesus Christ that there is forgiveness of sin, that there is the hope of eternal life. He is the way, exclusively. There is no other way to have access to God the Father, our creator in heaven. And so therefore to reject or to neglect following Jesus is sin. 
but also this one who is the remedy of sin is also the one who exposes us of our sins. In Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, back in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, there in the seventh chapter, as Jesus is winding down that amazing sermon that he preached to that multitude on that hillside. He says to them in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And then as he's finishing up his point in the 23rd verse, he says, speaking of those who did say, Lord, Lord, but did not do the Father's will, Verse 23, then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus, who is the light of the world. Jesus, who is the exact representation of God the Father. Exposes what sin is. And one sin is those who worship God but they don't do the Father's will. They're committing sin. They may be a God worshiper, but if they're not doing the Father's will, they are practicing lawlessness. And if you're practicing lawlessness, then you are committing sin. And like all of us, we all need to be convicted. We all need to be convicted by Jesus Christ. Over in Mark chapter 7, Jesus said some more things about sin. In Mark 7, Jesus, in his teaching, says this about the nature of sin. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and weakness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Evil things defile men. And these evil things are sins. But he says, where does that evil come from? He says, ultimately, it comes from a man's own heart. That's where it comes from. And so he lists a number of sins here. And so all fornication, all theft, all slander, all arrogance, all covetousness, all foolish, you name it, all of those are what? Evil. But the world doesn't say that, does it? The world needs convicting. And at times we need to be convicted again. God is not the one who entices anybody to sin. And the Spirit through James clearly makes that point in James 1 verse 13. You know, God does not tempt anybody to sin. You know, where where does it come from? 
Well, each man is enticed how? He entices himself with his own lust. That's where it comes from. But evil is sin. It is sin. And there are some sins that we don't necessarily call evil anymore. What else did Jesus say? Well, over in Luke 13, Luke 13, Jesus clearly proclaimed that all sinners need to repent. All sinners need to repent. In Luke 13, there is a, a, a conversation, a discussion going on with, you know, you know, between some people and Jesus. Verse 1 talks about, you know, an occasion where there were these Galileans, you know, you know, whose blood Pilate had mingled with, you know, sacrifices. And so Jesus then picks up in verse 2 and says, And Jesus said to them, said to these individuals who are kind of talking about this matter that has occurred. You know, so this is an event that has transpired. Historical event transpired, and Jesus is now going to take that event, that moment, he's going to preach a sermon. And what he says is, he says, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. So he talks about these Galileans who suffered a terrible thing, experienced tragedy, and Jesus says, I'm telling you right now, they are no greater sinners implying than you. He goes on, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And therefore, he he refers to another event. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Same answer. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Earthly tragedies are tragedies. They're terrible. And they are not events for us to gloat or you know, relish, no matter who it happens to. But earthly tragedies are not the defining measure of people's sins, though. That's not the defining measure. And what Jesus says here, he says, all sinners are called to repent. Why? Because all sinners need to repent. One person sins, you know, and their call for true repentance is as much you know, in necessary as another person's. You know, everybody needs to repent. The point is being made here. The call for true repentance applies to everybody. And so that's why Jesus says, I'm leaving. And it's good I'm leaving because then the spirit can come and do his job, carry out his task to guide you into all truth so, you, so that the world can be convicted of sin. One more passage. Now I'm going to go to the passage that has already been referred to today. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And that is, sin is what robs men, it cheats them, it steals from them the inheritance of God's eternal kingdom. That's what sin does to us. It entangles us, it enslaves us, and it cheats us and takes away what God offers us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there in verse 9 to verse 10, by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes these words, this exhortation, this admonition, when he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is writing to an audience of people who've been redeemed, an audience of people who have tasted of the goodness of God's mercy and grace, who've been called into God's light and have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And he's reminding them, he says, you need to make sure that you're not deceived, that you're not blinded like the rest of the world. Be on guard that you're not misled. He says, unrighteous people, people who continue to walk and live unrighteously will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what kind of people are that? And he lists some of that unrighteousness. It's not all-inclusive, but it's a, it's a pretty, you know, apparent list to us. And he's reminding the saints that these sins, no matter what they are, these sins will cheat you of what God has given you. It will rob you of your inheritance. Even those who have been sanctified, if they continue to practice the deeds of darkness, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. All sin is unrighteous. And that's not what the world says, is it? Not what the world says, that all sin is unrighteous and all sin is evil. We live in a world that's dark. We have suffered among our own number those who have been robbed of their inheritance because they walked in darkness. But let us not be deceived ourselves. The Spirit is and the spirit is still very much alive, and the spirit sword is sharper than anything else. It 
has the power to pierce when we do not. And so through the Spirit, God's sword, he is still trying to reveal truth and convict the unbeliever of sin. The world of men still needs to be convicted. And at times we still need to be reconvicted of that same truth. Our creator, our redeemer is the standard to whom we must adhere to overcome sin. And just as Jesus taught and the apostles preached, all men everywhere are called to repent. And they're called to seek forgiveness. There is forgiveness available. God stands ready to forgive those who will call upon him in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And it is that way that offers us true forgiveness. Will you do that today? Have you called upon the name of the Lord in obedience to Jesus Christ? There is no other way for you to have access to your Father's glory. Won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? However we can help you spiritually, invite you. I'll be standing singing the song as we select.